Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It was when you came on your official visit, they played like the old school movie with the four horsemen and uh, the old school Notre Dame, and you got the... And there's a... Now that's a follow-up question, <laughs> Eric Hansen. That's a heck of a follow-up question right there. If you can be physical, and if you can take the breath out of somebody by hitting them, man, it don't matter how many yards or, or what the offense is or what the schemes are, that, that'll always be the same. But I still think there's a place for Notre Dame and the ideals of Notre Dame football in the wide, broad scope of the sport right now. Uh, Eric, I'm hoping I don't run into you in South Bend because you'll probably cost me around a drink. From the South Bend Tribune and ND Insider, this is the Pot of Gold Podcast with Tyler James and Eric Hansen. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Pot of Gold, Indie Insider Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football for Indie Insider and the South Bend Tribune. The Irish are six practices into preseason camp, and we're starting to learn a little bit what this team will look like when the season opens at Florida State. Uh, reporters were allowed to watch Thursday's full practice, thankfully, and so were the Golics. Um, so that meant we had to invite Mike Golick Sr. onto the show to get his thoughts and what he saw and much more. Uh, Mike, thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, always good when football season starts and I don't have to put on pads anymore and get sore. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, I'm curious, what, what brought you out to practice on Thursday? Well, I mean, I'm living out here now. You know, now that I'm done at ESPN, I sold my house in Connecticut. And um, so I have the house here on Notre Dame Ave. I'll spend about six months here and my son, Mike, was in town um, for the week on vacation, uh, and he still knows more of the, the guys associated with the team now than, than I do. And so he said he was going to practice and just put my name down to it. And I said, cool. All right, let's go. <laughs> so uh, the first thing I wanted to ask you about as you're watching practice, I know Mike Jr. is going to watch the offensive line. He loves yeah. that. And he's really good at breaking the nuances down for us. Do, do you watch the practices the same or are your interests somewhere else? I like to uh, listen. I, I like to think I'm more versatile than an offensive lineman, even though I was a defensive <laughs> lineman. So while he's stuck watching, you know, the, the, those guys, I try and get a full view of everybody. I try and I, I spend some time, you know, kind of, honing in on the offense and then I'll switch sides and hone in on the defense just to kind of hear the call, you know, kind of have an idea of what I'm supposed to be seeing out there and just kind of seeing not so much how everybody is if they're doing everything perfect because they're not, they just started out, but just to kind of see, you know, where everything's kind of going. So I try and do a little more of a catch all. So um, based on that, if, you know, Again, we know it's only six practices in. They only have nine returning starters. This is a team with a pretty strong culture. I'm wondering, just your eyeballs yesterday, is this something where you're like, okay, I need to buy the good snacks for the season, or do you have some reservations about this team? 
Well, you, you know, what's going to happen is, is Notre Dame is really going to get tested uh, this year on their recruiting because they're replacing a lot of starters, you know, especially on the old line outside wide receivers as well. Quarterback. I mean, you know, doesn't it feel like Ian book's been there for 10 years. Um, Who's going to step up now? Who's going to be, you know, that guy, can they step up as a collective unit? How quickly can the offensive line gel? And, And I think, you know, it being Notre Dame and then being consistently, you know, whether a playoff team to a top 15 team, you know, in that general area, you know, I, I get the preseason ranking, but it's certainly going to be based a little bit more on the fact that Notre Dame can normally put out a really, really good team and not on the fact that we can say, oh, yeah, they have four returning linemen, their quarterbacks back, the, you know, they got wide receivers back. It won't be based on that. It'll be, it'll be based on the thought process of Notre Dame being able to recruit and, you know, the guys stepping up are, are going to be able to get the job done. Mike, was, was there anything specific that really stood out to you at, at practice yesterday? Was there something that you really walked away saying, wow, I, I didn't expect to see that or, wow, that really impressed me? Oh, no. I, and I knew there wouldn't. It was the first day in pads. I mean, <laughs> it was the first day in pads and the guys knew they had the next day off. So what I figured was going to happen, there'd be a whole lot of energy early, which there was, you know, when you're going through your drills and your one-on-ones. And then by the time you get to that little, you know, scrimmage at the end, everybody's legs are starting to die and everything you, you were doing in your, in your drills, when you were concentrating on technique and stepping right and sprinting, you know, you get going into a, you know, an eight play drive, a 10 play drive in your, in full pads for the first time. And now doing a little bit of a scrimmage, you know, that's where, and, and it's a great exercise because they'll be able to show that film. And, and I'm not, I'm not singling out the Notre Dame team, this is how it works. This is the first day in pads, even though you have the acclimation days of uppers, you know, until you're going full go in teamwork like that, where you're bringing people to the ground and you're getting tired, you know, it's like a basketball team, you know, kicking each other's ass at a practice. And then at the end saying, okay, now go make, you know, 10 free throws when you're dead ass tired, you know, you gotta, you gotta work through your legs dying on you. And, And, and that's what, that's what, happens in the first day of pads everywhere when you start to scrimmage so you can see the legs go you can see guys trying to survive uh, out there and then the key will be without question and then that comes down to how everything is constructed from nutrition to workout to recovery is how quickly do the guys come back you know how quickly do they get their legs back that's the sign of a team that's getting in shape and doing everything right from from the orthopedic side to the nutrition side to the lifting side to the football side of being in tune with the bodies to know, okay, I can push these guys like this and this is how quickly they come back. If some of them aren't coming back as quick, then they need a little more time uh, to to recover. And you you find that line now, but this was just the first day. There was nothing I saw. I didn't expect to see anything um, that where I went, wow. Because it was one where, like I said, everybody was excited because they had their pads on and they could pop one another and they had the next day off. And then, you know, two, two and a half hours in, you're like, oh, my God, when can this thing end? <laughs> you know, um, when Mike was a starter on the team that got to the national championship game in 2012 and Jake, um, unfortunately, a lot of his potential playing time got derailed during that time. 
Uh, I'm wondering when you look at Brian Kelly, how different is he as a coach, the guy that coached your kids versus the guy you're seeing in 2020, 2021? Well, I, I think, and, and I think even Brian would would say this, and, and I understand it. When you take over a team from a different coach, you know you're dealing with not only players you now get to bring in, but you're dealing with the players that the other, the other, the coach you just replaced brought in. So you have kind of a mixed bag, and you also want to set everything up your way. And I get it. You know, a new coach wants to establish this is how I'm going to do business, and this is how I'm going to do it, and. Brian, you know, we know Brian can get after it pretty well. And he did in those first few years. So I think once Brian, you know, was working all through that and got himself established there and, and comfortable there. And I think one of the things he and I think he would admit it is he said, OK, I can't do everything. You know, I don't know what year that hit. Did it, did it hit in 15? Did it hit in 16? Uh, whatever the, there was a four and eight year. I forgot which season that was 16. Did, did it hit then? Did, was it okay? I, I can't control. I can't do everything. I need, I need to delegate it. I need to have others, you know, I need to oversee everybody. I need to oversee these players, not only on the field, but off the field. You know, it, it's tough for a new coach coming in and trying to take over a program. And then, Oh, Oh, by, by the way, amplify that it's Notre Dame where there's a hell of a lot expected all the time by the head coach. There's a lot in their plate. And I, I think when he was able to start delegating more and, and, and not so much trusting the people he was going to delegate to, but trusting himself to be able to delegate to those other coaches and let them kind of handle the individual things while he truly became the CEO where he was looking over everything on and off the field and letting, you know, his coaches handle more responsibility on the field. Mike, this team is most likely, it hasn't been announced yet, but most likely going to be led by a grad transfer quarterback, um, which is a new thing for Notre Dame. Notre Dame hasn't dealt with that um, previously. I'm curious what your thoughts are on, on Notre Dame being able to handle, uh, or I guess not necessarily Notre Dame, but how Jack Cohn can handle coming into a new program like Notre Dame and being able to step in as a potential starter um, coming from Wisconsin. What Notre Dame gets is an established quarterback. I should say in a seasoned quarterback. And then it's just how well he can pick up the, uh, the offense and how soon he can do that. You know, think, think of the difference for a guy like Tommy Reese, you know, Ian book, who, again, who'd been there for 20 years, it seems, you know, I'm sure their relationship was a hell of a lot more easier, especially toward the end. They had, they'd been together for so long they were in each other's mind well Tommy now has to establish that with a new guy and a guy who you know had been part of this program you know has to learn everything so that again is one of the things you look at and do in front of a basically a new offensive line so there are some challenges there and a lot is going to be on that relationship with Tommy and the court and the quarterback and how well that system goes how well he can pick things up that can translate on the field. So I know that's the way it's going and it will probably go. So you're in a situation where you have to kind of expedite that. Mike, I'm not sure if you've had a chance to meet Marcus Freeman, but what is your impression of him so far as Notre Dame's defensive coordinator? I actually did. I met him after the practice. And, and in all honesty, I really got into a nice conversation with his oldest, his son, who was 14, because 
his son not only is a football player, but a wrestler. So, and, and even me and my son, Mike, were talking to, to Marcus and his son. And as soon as his son said that, my, and I started talking, my son goes, oh, that's it. No more football talk. You know, <laughs> and I did. I, I kept talking to the kid about wrestling, you know, how we wrestled, you know, because he was in Ohio, you know, at Cincinnati wrestling there. And that's a hotbed. You know, now yeah. he'll be here and wrestling in, uh, in Indiana. So we talked a lot about that and, and the Olympic wrestling we just watched, uh, watched. But, you know, I talked to Marcus. I knew I've, I've seen what Marcus did at, at UC. I know the kind of defense that he has. And as a former defensive player, you're excited to play in this kind of a defense. This guy is not afraid to dial shit up. I mean, he is he will get after you. And that's what he wants. He wants he wants you to attack. Uh, and I love that. I love that as a defensive player. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to, and listen, they lost the great coordinator, Leo, without a doubt. And you knew he yeah. was going to, they probably got an extra year out of him in all honesty, because you knew he was going to be a head coach. And I loved that guy as well, you know, and every coach has a little different twist. And, and I'm looking forward to what Marcus is going to bring to this defense. One of the twists that he wants to bring is rotating linebackers. And we've certainly seen Notre Dame rotate defensive linemen really successfully under Mike Elston. But how do you feel like the linebacker core would work? I mean, are we going to, you know, be like hockey lines rotating them in? Or, I mean, can you get as a linebacker, you do you rely more on the rhythm of the game than maybe a defensive lineman? No, you, you'll be fine. You, you, okay. you, whenever you see a team do that, it's because they have quality and depth at that position. You know, they wouldn't be doing it if they had, you know, four linebackers right. that were that they trusted. You obviously have more than that. It's where's your depth. You know, if your depth is on the D line, you'd love to be able to roll a new D line, but you got to have the quality to do it. You don't want to just run in new guys to spell your starters. You want to be able to run in guys where there's either no drop off or barely any drop off. And that's the depth of this defense, you know, the depth they have depth at linebackers. So no. And especially if these guys get into the rhythm of rotating, then that's how you see the game. You know, if you're asked to play more, that's fine. But now you see the game more on a rotational basis. So, you know, that's the rhythm that you've become used to getting into. So to me, it, it, it's not an issue. And then there's always the fresh leg aspect that you love. Um, and, and, and players have different strengths and different weaknesses. And if you have the ability to be in a room where you can mix and match those strengths on the field, you know, by rotating, I mean, it puts you in a great position without question. And, and, and don't get me wrong. Every player wants to play every play. I never wanted to come off the field. But mm -hmm. if you have that depth and, and, and that's what the coach wants with the rotation, and the one thing you have to do, you need to buy in as a player, you know, and say, okay, this is how we're going to do it. It's going to make us a better team. And, and that's what it's all about, you know, being a better team. Mike, as a former player and as a father of a of former players, how do you look at NIL from those two different perspectives? Do you look at it the same? Do you like it? You know, it, it's weird where I've come in talking about things. Like when I was younger and first getting into the business, you know, at times I would be like, oh, this is dumb. It's never worked. You know, don't do it that way. It's not the way it was done, blah, 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 blah. But I do think sometimes with age can come some wisdom. And, you know, I do particularly like this, but whether I liked it or not, doesn't matter. Instead of people ripping it and saying how it's not going to work, I think the way we all have to look at it is it's happening. 
So how do we make it the best we can? And I think one of the best things that happened, obviously the NCA, just another thing they just absolutely messed up on. It just, it's an embarrassment. It's just an embarrassment of how they handle some things. So basically it was, we don't want this. Oh, the, the states are going to force us to do this. Oh, hey, uh, let's get an injunction so that doesn't happen so we can talk about it. Oh, wait, the injunction didn't work. Okay, you guys do whatever you want. You know, conference is doing it whatever way you want. I mean, it, it's, it's embarrassing. Now, I think one of the best things that happened, though, with this whole scenario is it happened in the middle of summer. You know, if this happened during the season, you know, because right now it's the wild, wild west. We have no clue what the rules are or what are hard, fast rules. So basically it's ask for forgiveness, not permission. Grab any deal you can. And then do you get in trouble for it? We'll see. Cause you're seeing all kinds of crazy deals. The latest one, what the BYU walk-ons getting their tuition, you know, paid for. And it happened to be in Utah. If it was another state, it might not have been legal to do. So this is, if, if schools are smart and one of the smartest ones has been Nebraska. I mean, you saw when this came out, you look at Nebraska, their NIL page. I mean, they were ready for this, you know? So instead of fighting it like the NCA likes to do, it's going to happen. So figure out the best way to work it. So your, your players, your, your, your men and your women athletes know what they're looking for, know what to expect. Hire, I would say hire a third party group, you know, to help facilitate all of that. And I think we've run through a lot of the gamut of the wildness during the summer, which I'm glad we did because once we get into the season, there needs to be a little more stability because there are, as like with anything that happens new, we don't know the unknowns. What are the unknowns in some of these deals? Are there actually going to be deals out there where players, it will infringe upon their study hall, on their practice, which I can't even imagine, you know, or infringe upon the time they're supposed to be putting in into football. One thing we definitely don't know, will there be, and, and these kids are 18 to 22 year olds. So this is rhetorical. Is there going to be animosity in the locker room? Sure. There's going to be some animosity in the locker room and not from the star to the guy who knows he's a role player, but from maybe the star to just under that, just that next tier of a guy that maybe thinks he should be getting more than he should. So there may be, not maybe there will be some of that in the locker room. So that's going to be a new test for players and for coaches. How do you deal with that when it comes up in a locker room? These are all unknowns um, that we, we're, we're not going to be sure of until this thing goes along further. And we get more concrete rules if we ever do about, you know, what, what you can do, what you can't do. Because right now, you know, have fun explaining the rules to somebody. But uh, I'm fine with it. I have no problem with it. We, we've gone through incredible things where whole teams like the U are getting something. We got a quarterback at Alabama making probably over a million dollars and never taking a snap in his life. Uh, I know we got the 13 or 17 old lineman at Notre Dame for Mission Barbecue. We got <laughs> the BYU walk-ons getting their, getting their tuition paid for. And guess what? When we wake up in the morning, the sun comes up and the world's still spinning. You know what? College football hasn't died. <laughs> you know, it, it's okay. we're all okay right now with this hectic beginning. Now, let's kind of see how it goes over the next few years once better, when more plans are put into place. Mike, what's going to be your involvement with uh, football this season with the, with the new world for yourself? 
Um, I am going to call, it looks like I'm going to call college games uh, for Learfield. I'm going to call, they have a college uh, um, a game of the week every Saturday night. I'll call games for them. And I may be calling some games for uh, NFL games. I may be doing that for Westwood One. I'm still looking into that as well. So, you know, some weekends I may be doubling up on games, which is fine by me. I love calling games. And I'll get involved with some podcast groups I'm talking with too, probably as well. So I I'm was in at ESPN, it was that one show, and then maybe some college. Now I'm kind of piecing some things together, but at least they're things that I get to kind of choose uh, to do. Uh, the downside is I, I'm living, you know, I can walk to campus and I have tickets at the stadium and I won't be here. I need a football weekend. So that's kind of a bummer, but, uh, but I'm happy I'll be out calling games. <laughs> Last one from me, then since you're in South Bend, you're not going to be able to go to the games. What is the ambiance of South Bend that has brought you here? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we've always wanted, you know, we got a house. Well, when the boys and my daughter were here, we had those condos over at Irish Crossing. And my wife always wanted a house on Notre Dame Ave. And, you know, the opportunity arose and we were able to get one in 2017. And we just always wanted, we, I wasn't sure we were ever going to live here full time. We thought we may, but we just wanted a house here because the kids love coming here. When they have kids, they'll come here. And it's just a place where we can, you know, everybody can be. And then, you know, when things ended at ESPN, we were like, well, you know, we don't need that house in Connecticut anymore. There's no reason for us to be there. You know, let's go stay in South Bend. You know, we love it here. Uh, I think, I, I think, you know, we talk about Notre Dame and South Bend sometimes in two separate entities, but I think South Bend has been coming along great. They've been adding some wonderful things around the city, uh, especially a casino, which I love. <laughs> um, so, you know, we, we enjoy being here. We do. So we'll spend time between here and our place in Scottsdale. And, uh, and I see that happening, you know, from now on, we, we, have, we love the house that we have. Like I said, it's right near campus. I still have my golf cart, which is the greatest purchase I ever made back in 2008. Uh, so it's 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 a ball. Like I said, the only downside is I, I can't go to any of the games. Well, all right, Mike, that sounds great. We appreciate you joining us today, and thanks for your insight. You got it. No problem, guys. All right, now it's time for Place Your Bets. How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountains? This is our segment dedicated to the degenerates. Let's make some prop bets for the 2021 season based on our observations and maybe some overreactions from Thursday's practice. First one I have for us, Eric, is over under 20 completions of 30-plus yards for Jack Cohn. Well, I know you did all the film study last year, so you probably are up on the research end of this. I tried to look at some advanced metrics, and I could only find – 30 plus yard plays that combined run and pass plays and Notre Dame, according to the site I looked at had 23. So that included some long runs. Um, yeah, well, let, yeah I'll, I'll give you some stats then to help, help form your opinion. Okay. Last, last season, 12 quarterbacks in college football had more than 20 plus last season, obviously a shorter season in 2019, there were 36. Um, okay. And that, and that season Ian book had 19 and Jack Cohn had 12. Okay. I'm going to go under, even though I think there's, if it was 20 plus yard plays, I would be on probably more on board. And even with a high number, I think, you know, it just in watching, they want to get the ball down the field. And Brian Kelly mentioned that. 
I think some of those 30-plus-yard plays are going to be yards after the catch. I could see guys like Kevin Austin and, you know, Lindsey and even somebody like Deion Colsey getting, you know, taking a seven-yard play and making it into a 30-yard play. For, for whatever reason, I just think I'm going to go under. I, I will go over – given that there was 36 in 2019, that, that seems like a reasonable number for – Jack Cohn to get to. Now, obviously, yeah. if the season doesn't go well. Um, I guess I felt like I was overreacting, but I was impressed yesterday. So Yeah, I, I, I was too, and that was why he was one of the guys I, I named as someone that stood out in, in practice uh, yesterday in my story. But I, I think that um, there, the, he's going to have a willingness to do so, and he's going to have the receivers that will be able to threaten a defense. Um, and, and, and it goes both ways. If they, if they can be a threat to go deep on you, you're also probably going to get some more cushion at the start of the route. And then so you can get it, maybe you can get a short pass. Brayden Lindsay can catch a slant and turn it into a 30 yard reception, like you talked about. I even think some of the screen games with Kyron Williams or Chris Tyree could end up being 30 yard receptions. So I, I'm going to go over. I don't know that it's going to be uh, very high. I, I want to say like last year, Kyle Trask had like 35. I don't think he's going to get like near that, but. Um, I think uh, he's going to be able to get over 20. Next question or next prop bet for us is how many linebackers will play against Florida state? Well, there's 10. So that's the maximum number when we count the Rovers. Yeah. And and I guess I should clarify my intent was with the number one defense, not necessarily counting special teams and potential garbage time. So that was, that was the intent of the question. If that. Okay. Then, then that changes yeah. a little bit. My answer would have been eight if we're in the first game, if we're not counting garbage time. I don't think Prince Kali or Kia is going to get in that game. I think it's going to be close enough that those two wouldn't get in, uh, the two freshmen. Um, so I my answer was going to be eight, but it still could be, eight. I think, easily six. I think White... Bauer, uh, Leofau, Simon, Kaiser, and Moala are all going to see significant downs. And I'm not rolling out Pryor or Bertrand. So I, I guess I'm going to go with my original answer and say eight. Okay. I, I, I'm going to go with seven. Um, I feel better about the same six that I, that you mentioned and then the seventh for me is J.D. Bertrand, and now that may be an overreaction from yesterday. Um, but he was getting some work in there with the number ones, even alongside uh, Drew White, not necessarily as Drew White's replacement. So uh, that, that opens up the possibilities of him playing more rather than only being a sub behind, like, Drew White and Bo Bauer. Um, so I think he'd get on the field. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they find a specific niche role for Isaiah Pryor, but I just haven't seen that. Uh, I don't know what that is yet. Um, so I, I'm not quite willing to go to eight yet. So I will I will go with seven. Next one I have for us, Eric, is who will have more receptions this season, Braden Lindsay or Lawrence Keys? Well, they both have 18 career catches, um, and Lindsay's got more yardage. Um, if they're both healthy, and that's not your question, but. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with Lindsay. You know, Keys is is really a slot guy, and if he 
is limited to the slot, then he's got to deal with Avery Davis and Lorenzo Styles, and I think those guys are going to play a lot. I mean, Keys looked really good yesterday. Lindsey doesn't have as much competition to get on the field and stay on the field, so I'm going to go with Lindsey. Yeah, I think your your logic is sound there. I, I I do think there's a chance that I mean, if Lawrence Keys does play, I think he could be more like of a safe, a safety blanket sort of target, whereas like Brayden Lindsey is like this big play target. So that makes me a little concerned about like maybe the the quantity of receptions that Braden Lindsey would have. I, I think he'll have chances for big plays, but those you obviously aren't going to cash in on those every time. Um, but but I'm still going to go with Lindsey. I just think that the the ceiling there is higher and there's more potential there for him to have a greater impact in the offense than Lawrence keys. But I certainly wouldn't be surprised if it ended up being Lawrence keys, because I think he has some things that he can bring the offense. Although it seems like I see a lot of that. That's sort of been the case throughout his career in terms of being impressed with him in practice. And then that hasn't always translated to, to the game. So uh, I think uh, there's, there's reasons to be hopeful for the wide receiver position. I think a lot of it has to do with both Brayden Lindsay and Lawrence keys. Next one, over under 12 interceptions for Notre Dame's defense. Well, what I tried to do here was look and see both what Cincinnati and Notre Dame had the past four seasons. And Cincinnati under Freeman had 16 last year in 10 games, 16 in 2019, 12 in 2018, 5 in 2017 when they weren't very good. Um, Notre Dame had seven last year in 12 games. They had nine in 2019. They had 12 in 2018 when they had Julian Love in the backfield and 10 in um, 10 in 2017, the post-Van Gorder years. Uh, you know, Kyle Hamilton seems like a natural to get more this year. I don't know that I see Houston Griffith and DJ Brown as got big interception guys um, and the corners. You know, I think they'll get some, but I'm going to go under on that one. Yeah, I think um, as sort of as as Marcus Freeman's or the stats associated association with Marcus Freeman at Cincinnati sort of shows. I think his tendency to play more man coverage probably leads to more chances for interceptions. Um, but I, I'm sort of a, of the mind of you, like I, when it comes, I like the, I thought the the DBs played pretty well yesterday, um, but I also sort of if I'm going to feel confident in Notre Dame going over under 12 interceptions, which um, it hasn't gone over 12 since, since Brian Van Gorder was the defensive coordinator with 12 being the highest, as you mentioned in 2018, that I, I just need to see it. I need to see what the, what the, that the defense can do this and the, the secondary is capable of those interceptions. Um, so I, I'm going to hold off and, and, and predict the under. Last one I have for us is who will have more carries this season, Logan Diggs or Audric Estime? Well, they both impressed me yesterday, and just based on one practice, Diggs looks like instinctually he has a little bit better handle on how fast college football defenders are, because <laughs> uh, Audric tried to go a little bit too much east and west for a 228-pound guy. Um, but I think when you start to look at how they fit with the other running backs, Audric at 228 is a, is different than everybody else on the roster, even Sebo, who's kind of the short yardage guy. So I actually think Audric will get more carries than Logan does. 
Yeah, I think that that's what makes it the, the, such a tough call, in my opinion, is that I think that Logan maybe Logan Diggs maybe more versatile as a, as a running back, and so maybe if there were like some injuries and they needed a guy full time to step in, maybe he would be the guy that would get that opportunity rather than Audric Estime. Um, but there's a chance that they don't even need either of them because they have three reliable running backs ahead of them. So I, I think that the result of this is probably going to be based on carries and blowouts. <laughs> um, so it's, it's a bit of a coin flip because I don't know that Notre Dame's going to rely on them a, a ton or need to rely on them, even though I think that they might be capable of being relied out upon. Um, so but I'm going to go with estimate. That was um, someone I really liked as a recruit. And I, I wouldn't say that my opinion has changed on that yet. I think he just offers something different. Like you mentioned to the, to the running back room um, and uh they could find a niche role for him beyond sort of the garbage time carries if, if, if needed. So I think uh, that gives him a slight, slight edge in my book. All right. Now it's time for questions. Just tell me when you guys, are, are we done with USC? Everybody's done. You guys are kidding me. That's all you want to talk about. All right, let's go. You can submit questions to us on Twitter before each podcast. I'm at T James NDI and Eric's at E Hanson NDI. First one I have for us is from at Bobby Bancroft. Any transformational changes to the pod this season that we can look forward to? Also, how much game, gamesmanship do you think is involved in not naming a quarterback starter, or is this normal for Brian Kelly? Thanks. I'll hang up and listen. I love the transformational uh, reference. <laughs> um, that was from yesterday's press conference. Brian Kelly and I had a little bit of an exchange there. Uh, but I will say on a serious note, I mean, there may be some time where we would do this on video or or do it do it on YouTube and have it in podcast form. It's something we've talked about at different times, if it makes sense to do that. Uh, I think sometimes our guests like the fact that they could be picking their teeth and not have to worry about what that looks like on video. So that would be the transformational uh, part that I can think of. How much gamesmanship do you think? None at all. I think this is just Brian sometimes not realizing which days he's talking to the media um, and, and trying to line that up. He's, you know, not looking at his media schedule. Has he done that before? I think there's maybe been a couple of times where he has done that. Uh, I don't think it ever works. Um, but, but in this instance, this isn't gamesmanship. Um, you know, he, he's not trying to fool Florida state with us. Yeah. R- rarely does he enter camp saying who the starter is. So this isn't um, uh, unless there's someone like Ian book, who's a, a three year, third year starter. Um, so I think the fact that he said they may, would make a decision essentially this week made me believe that the competition was more or less settled already. I don't know that there was probably going to be something that would change his mind this week. Um, even though he still hasn't announced that, it, it seems to be that it would be Jack Cohn's job. But um, so I, I, I don't know that there's, there's much to read into that. It's, it's, we're pressing him to see if he will name the starter and um, they're going to name him when they're ready to. So in terms of the transformational change of the podcast, I was hoping that we could maybe start recording in our office studio. Um, but I think we're going to be on Zoom for a while longer. We just had a, a, a mask policy reinstated 
um, at the workplace. So I don't know that we're going to be going into the office to record uh, and, a, a podcast through through masks. Um, and, and, and Gail, one of our coworkers, told me yesterday, both Tyler's and my desk are flooded from a big rainstorm the other day. So there's, I don't know that water and podcasting mix well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so either. So we'll see if there's any more transformational changes coming for this podcast. But if you have major suggestions, please let us know. Uh, next question is from at Ryan underscore Setkoviak. Was BK's talk of transformational off seasons from Lindsay Keys, et cetera, more hyperbolic, coach speak, or based on initial viewing, does there appear to be something potentially exciting to this? Yeah. Before I moved to this, I thought of one more transformational possibility. Probably the best podcast ever was when we got cookies from Mike Elston's wife, Beth, (laughs) and ate them on the air and critiqued them. That would be a transformation that I would look forward to. Okay. More food on the podcast. All right. Noted. Back to this, back to this, getting paid to eat cookies on the air. That was pretty cool. Um, I, I think there's something to this. I, I don't think BK was blowing smoke about it. When we saw Lindsay Keys um, and Kevin Austin yesterday, you know, l- less Joe Wilkins. I mean, he looked pretty good in some of the drills, but didn't jump out at me as much in the, um, scrimmage portion uh, practice looked different practice looked different um than it has for a while um and so i am buying in on this the the thing about it is with Lindsay, it's health with keys he's had good camps before and good springs before and hasn't maybe perpetuated that into the season so maybe that's where i I need to be a little bit more wait and see, but with Austin and Lindsay, I'm pushing all my chips in. Yeah, I think there's something to it as well. I, I mean, partially because, I mean, say we hadn't, even if we hadn't seen practice, Brian Kelly wasn't willing to sort of say these things about those guys in the spring. He, he was demanding that we need these guys to, 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 to make, have this kind of transformation and be, be prepared to lift the offense in terms of at the wide receiver position. But he was—he wasn't saying they—they're ready to do that. Like that was something that he was sort of hoping would happen, and and that they needed to happen. And now he's saying he feels like it has happened to a point where they can now trust them to do what they need. So I, I don't—I don't know that he would come off with such praise like right away if they, he didn't feel like that was sort of realistic. I don't know that—I don't know that he would like the, the message would be, it was being like told through the media to get back to the players that he, you've done a good job. I don't know that he would need us to need that message to come through. So I don't know what that motivation would be, would be for it to sort of be hyperbole. Um, now, obviously it's, it, it we got to see it on the field. Um, that's something I still want to wait and see. Um, but I do think, like I mentioned earlier, that there's reason to be hopeful. Um, I, I think it's, it's awfully, it would be a pretty funny outcome for all the off season of Dell Alexander detractors that, that the wide receivers could take the offense to a different level. And uh, which, which some people felt like he was holding, holding guys back, even though that older receivers have been able to to play well for him and his recruiting was being um, 
criticized and he's not, he has since landed commitments from Tobias Merriweather and CJ Williams. So there could be quite the turnaround uh, for those who um, were ready to, were asking, I think, I think we even got asked on a podcast once is like, should they fire Dell Alexander? Um, whereas the, 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 the work that he is doing could, it could really be paying off. And obviously the players deserve a lot of that credit too. I mean, it's not just the, the coaches that get all the credit for this, but um, if he, can can make these guys sort of come through at the towards the end of their careers like he has with previous guys. I think the that could that could mean a lot for this offense. Next question is from at Shane0607. I was a little surprised when Coach Kelly said that he was surprised by Jack Cohn's arm strength. Wouldn't that be something BK tested out before signing Cohn on the team? I think that's a reasonable question. The mechanics of having a grad transfer pick your school, though, doesn't quite work that way. You can't, I mean, I guess you could ask them to come and work out for you, but that's not the way it works. Um, well, you, well I, think, I mean, that's that's under normal circumstances. This happened during COVID. I don't even, they couldn't even have had him on campus. I don't even know right. what he did before. Like, right. Yeah, you're right. I forgot about the COVID part of it. And also, but let's say it's during normal times. Um, you know, you're not going to have, you may have them come in for a visit, but you're, you know, Hey, why don't you throw the ball to Braden Lindsay? That's, that's not going to happen most likely unless they just decided to do that on their own. Yeah. I mean, Uh, partially because the kid could be insulted by that. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're competing for his, you know, against other schools. He had other options. Um, you know, I think where Brian got that impression is watching Wisconsin film. And Wisconsin wasn't a deep, you know, deep ball type of team. They're, you know, pounded with their running game and their offensive line and, you know, pass when they needed to and tried to be an efficient passing team, which in 2019 they were. Um, they were more efficient uh, passing team in 2019 than Notre Dame was, uh, barely, but they were. And, and it's the same thing with his running ability. Um, you know, Jack Cohn was a prolific runner in, on Long Island. Now, Long Island football isn't the top quality in the country. It's nowhere near, let's say, even northern New Jersey, which is really close by. Uh, but he wasn't asked to do that in Wisconsin's offense. Just like Brady Quinn, Brady Quinn wasn't looked, you know, asked to run. I guarantee you if Brady Quinn played in Brian Kelly's offense, he would have run and run very well. Yeah, I, I sort of interrupted you a couple of times, so I don't know that I have much more to add than I already did. But, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't necessarily think about this until it was posed. Like, yeah, they, I mean, they unless there was some sort of exception that I'm not aware of, they, they wouldn't have been able to have him on campus to throw because of the COVID visiting rules. Um, so that that obviously would, would have been – I know, now maybe they could have set something up where they – which I think they've done with high school recruits, like, okay, do a like throwing session for us and record it and send it to us. But I'm not sure that that happened with someone that has already had experience on the college level. Um, and, and there's only so much you can learn from film. And now at Notre Dame, they can say, Hey, try to make this throw or make this throw. And then they can see if he does it or not. And he's been able to do it at times. Um, and that's where Brian Kelly's surprise has come from. Next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. I know you have only seen one full practice, but what are your initial impressions of Cone, Austin, Madden, and Griffith? Okay. How, about, how about we go one? 
like you say something about Cone and then and then I'll chime in about Cone rather than us going through all four each separately. Okay. I I liked Cone better than how I liked him in the spring. And I still feel like this is a guy that has more in the tank that we're going to see a better guy in September and a better guy in October. I think there's just going to be a steady progression with him. Yeah. I, to me watching practice yesterday, even though like Jack Cone didn't do a lot in the scrimmage portion, they, they gave more of the reps to Drew Pine from what I had seen before that. I, I, I sort of had in my eyes sort of confirmed what I believe that, Jack Cohn has basically won the quarterback competition already. He isn't afraid to let it rip. Um, there was one play that really stood out to me. There was a touchdown pass to Kevin Bauman in a goal line seven on seven. Yeah, that was particularly impressive. He just sort of let it loose right in, in right through the middle of a tight window near the goal line into the end zone. Um, it was, I, and I think they were like, I, I remember hearing like actual woes from people, the reporters that were sitting. I, sitting I was around, one of them around me. So. Um, I, I, I liked what I've seen now. I, now, is he going to be one of the best quarterbacks in college football? I don't know. That's that's, that's going a little bit far, but I, I felt enough like, okay, this is Jack Cohn's job for sure. Um, and uh, the, uh, sort of going off the comments we've previously made that we think that, that he has the chance with the receivers around him to, to make the offense look a little bit different. What about Kevin Austin, Eric? The last time prior to yesterday, prior to um... – Thursday that we had seen a full practice was the first spring practice of 2020 right before COVID shut spring down. And Kevin Austin was the star of that practice. If you knew about football, but you didn't know about Notre Dame football. So you kind of walked in blind. You would say number four was the best offensive player on the team. And I may be cocoa for cocoa puffs when it comes to Austin, but I just I I think if he can be healthy, he's gonna live up to everything people thought he would. And I normally don't get this giddy about a player, but I've got a football crush on Kevin Austin. <laughs> yeah, one thing like his seeing his seeing him as number four sometimes can be difficult because he rolls his jersey up so high. He, he wants everyone to see all of his abs and everything, and he's an impressive uh, athlete. So uh, it's hard to identify. It's easy to identify people him if you know who he is. If you don't know, you're like looking for number four. It might you might have a harder time identifying him because the the jersey gets rolled up so much. But I think I to, Kevin didn't look as great in yesterday's practice as he did in that March practice in 2020. That that practice he was making plays all over the place. He made some plays yesterday. Um, but I'm not saying like I, my expectations lowered for him. Kevin Austin looks like what I expect Kevin Austin to look like. The, the question to, for, for me, I mean, for years now, it's just been him, his availability and being on the field and, and getting a chance to do that. So um, I have no doubt that he's talented. And so um, yesterday was sort of much of the same in terms of my perspective of Kevin Austin. What about Kane Madden? Um, Kane, I mean, he looked strong, steady. He looked a good fit. Um, you asked a good question is why right guard instead of left guard? It would seem like you'd want to put, um, a veteran next to a first time starter at left tackle, especially if it's Blake Fisher, but even if it's not Blake Fisher and somebody else, um, but Brian Kelly answered that question. I'll let you talk about that. I mean, from what I saw, I you know, and then Brian Kelly 
kind of nuance the answer a little bit for us afterwards. So I I thought, okay, this is a pretty good pickup. Yeah, yeah, I think he looks the part. I I I don't know. He didn't do anything incredibly. I mean, they were not going to have like a Quentin Nelson highlight reel off of the practice if you if you recorded Kane Madden during during yesterday's practice, but he looked good. I thought so. Brian Kelly's answer to my question was basically that he's played right guard, so we just felt like it would made the most sense to keep him where he's most comfortable. Um, so I, I'm not sure how much I agree with that. I mean, maybe he's maybe they've tried him at left guard and he didn't. He wasn't as good at it. I, I sort of like the idea of him being a left guard rather than a right guard, just sort of to balance out the the line. But if that's the way they go, I think that, that that's okay. Um, I, I it is sort of strange to have last year your the left side of your offensive line be Liam Eikenberg and Aaron Banks. And now it could be Blake Fisher and Zeke Carell playing positions that they've, they've never played at the college level. Um, so it's, it's going to look a lot different if that's the way that the lineup ends up being, but um, that's not to say that those guys can't succeed in those roles. Um, so I think Caden Madden was good. Um, and then the last one uh, Marie asked about was Houston Griffin. You know, I liked his energy out there. He seemed to play more confident. Either his body language was really good. Yep. Other than that, I thought he was solid. I mean, I didn't think he was spectacular, but I think this is kind of the increment that he needs to make. So I thought it was encouraging. Yeah, I, solid was the the word that I wrote down about Griffith as well. He's he's probably the one of this group that I'm the most skeptical of, just because it's sort of been like a okay, what does Notre Dame actually have here just based off the way his career has gone at Notre Dame, which seems maybe seems unfair considering like what we're saying about Kevin Austin when he hasn't necessarily done a ton during his career either. But that's just sort of my perspective. And I've seen Kevin Austin make plays in practice where I, the, although Houston Griffith's best practice I probably ever saw was that March 5th practice in 2020 as well. He had a pretty good practice that spring too. Um, so he was all right yesterday. Solid, like we mentioned, um, but certainly that's something I, I want to see more of to feel confident that it can be replicated um, on Saturdays. Next question we have is from at Coffee Dark Roast. Outside quarterbacks saw a lot of video on Adjavon, Litchfield Adjavon, Joe Wilkins Jr., and Matt Salerno. Is this by design to try to throw off FSU? Is Brian Kelly trying to be coy with the starters? It seems as though I haven't seen enough of Avery Davis, Houston Griffith, Isaiah Pryor, or Shane Simon. Do you, and then another question, do you have a dark horse on a breakout season? Um, it, that, that's just completely random. I mean, there's nothing, to, especially with Litchfield Ajavon, that's not something that you're going to see. Yeah. Uh, I, I, my, I, I wasn't sure. I'm assuming he means like the videos from the Twitter, the Indy football Twitter account, which Litchfield Ajavon has been doing like an interview series with teammates after games. Um, so that's not like a reflection of them saying he's going to be the best player on the team or he's going to be a, a crucial point on the team. They, they think he's an entertaining person and, and can and can bring some levity to the to the proceedings, I guess. Um, so um, I'm not sure that the the video output is necessarily related. But go ahead, Eric. I interrupted you. No, that's OK. You know, Matt Salerno is a walk-on that's probably going to earn a scholarship. I mean, he looks good in practice, but he's not a rotation player for them. He's a guy that'll get some, you know, garbage minutes and stuff. And, you know, Joe Wilkins is one of the transformational guys, but, you know, they can move him around, but he does play the same position that Kevin Austin does. Um, and then um, 
so so the concern was about Davis, Simon, and Pryor, right? Yeah, those are some of the names you threw out. I, I don't know. I, I think I think Avery's gonna play a lot. Um Pryor has to battle for playing time with some other really good rovers with Moala and Kaiser. And then Simon, I'm not sure what to think about him. You know, they have him, they have 10 guys up front that are supposedly the leaders of the team. And and um Shane Simon was one of those. And then when I watched him yesterday, I didn't you know, get the impression that he was competing for a starting spot. Now, again, the training camp is a long time and maybe things click in later. So, um, and then the, we want the breakthrough players, right? Yeah. Let me chime in about those guys for like, I, okay. I, I don't think Kelly's trying to hide the, who the starters are. I mean, no, no. I, maybe, maybe this question is really just sort of like in the last in the spring and last fall, they were doing like three minute video. They were giving us more clips from practice, but I think that was partially because we weren't there. So they were trying to help us out and give us a little more of an insight to what was happening at practice. Um, now, obviously we have, we have windows to see practice. Um, so I think maybe there, maybe you should be expecting those clips from other media outlets. Although we don't get a ton, a lot of the good stuff happens actually after the cameras are allowed to, to film anything um, when we're at practice. But um, I think, I, so I imagine we'll see less of those kinds of things that we were seeing in the, in the spring and last fall in terms of the, I, I agree with you on those guys, the Shane Simon point, like I don't remember and I don't see anything in my notebook. I don't remember noticing a play that he made yesterday. Um, now I wasn't specifically watching the linebackers. That wasn't like a focus of mine necessarily. And I wasn't looking for Shane Simon. So he could have done some things that were, that were good that I didn't notice, but there was nothing that he did to sort of jump out during that practice. Now it's just one practice. It's just a small window. So, but I think he, I mean, I was really impressed with Mary's Leofile. So I think he may be losing um, some momentum in terms of a starting role there. And JD Bertrand, like I mentioned, was, was working some at that will linebacker position too. So Simon has, has his hands full in terms of getting on the field um, and, and keeping his playing time up um, this season. Now to dark horses. Who, who's your dark horse for a breakout season? Well, I went back to what I predicted in our special section. I don't know that they're dark horses, but the three people that I um, said were Fisher, Botello, and somebody that I can't read the writing of. <laughs> um, gosh. Uh, so I would have to go back and look at that. Oh, here we go. Okay. Yeah, so – so our so our Fisher Botello and Kaiser, it looks like laser. How I wrote it, my <laughs> writing is terrible. Um, and I guess I would add to that Cam Hart, um, just kind of based on what Brian Kelly said about him yesterday. Yeah, it it's hard for me to know what a dark horse is when we talk about because the Notre Dame fan base and us as report like we follow we we're detailed like we're we're talking about the backup corners we're talking about backups and so like. Does that count as a dark horse if it's someone that everyone's like Jordan Batello? Like, I mean, everyone is expecting him to have a big impact this season. So, does it count as a dark horse or not? So, so my I had predicted Riley Mills is one of those guys that I included on our breakthrough seasons predictions. Um, Cam Hart was also another one of mine. Um, and off of yesterday's practice, Maris Leofau jumps to to the top of that list. But I mean, I'm not sure if those qualify as dark horse or not. But ignoring whether they qualify, I just expect uh, some big things from those guys. I think Riley Mills has a lot of potential and they could do a number of different things with, 
him on the defensive line and they're going to throw different looks at, at offenses. And that's going to be something that I think he can uh, excel in. And it's sort of the same with Maris that he, he can line up in different positions as a linebacker can do it all at different things. We saw him intercept the pass where he sort of just jumped up to bat the pass down and happened to intercept it and would have been returned for a touchdown if they actually like let the play go. So it was a pretty impressive play. And um, I think there are a number of guys like that, that are sort of, been in backup roles, may even not necessarily start um, uh, this season, but I think we'll play, especially on defense, um, rotational roles that could that you could be considered as, as dark horses. Next question we have is from Chris Scheiber at Scheib43. Since I asked about playing backups last week, I'm going to ask about rotational players this week. How many guys do you realistically see playing first-team snaps at least a couple of drives per game on the offensive line? Okay, so if I understand the question correctly, um, we're not counting like a wholesale second-team offensive line coming in in garbage time. We're talking no. in the heat of the game. Okay, so I think you're going to have five offensive linemen play. I think the only possibility where there could be a rotation is at that left guard uh, with Zeke Carell and maybe a Rocco Spindler. I, I don't think you're going to see rotation with the other guys. Yeah, I, I'm not ready to say that. I'm convinced that that will happen. I, I think it's a possibility, but I think we need to remember that the Tommy Kramer-Robert Hainsey situation was rare. That wasn't like a, a regular thing that Notre Dame did. Right. Um, and and even though – so it, it can happen and it has happened, but it, they, they need to have a reason to do that. So I, I'm, I'm curious to see if that they are compelled to do that. Um I'm not, I haven't been convinced that that's something that they're necessarily interested in or that they're not interested in. I don't necessarily have a sense yet on that. Um, but, yeah, so my guess would just be that they would, they, would, they would stick with five starters. I don't know that there'll be a lot of rotation on the offensive line. Next question is from at UND underscore Clancy. Let's talk some Michael Mayer. Will he become the highest scoring tight end at Notre Dame ever this year? Yes, right, right? Those yes, right, rights were – Added from Clancy, not myself. Yeah. Well, I'm going to give him a yes. Uh, I'm going to kind of roll the dice with us a little bit. When I looked at the research, I was stunned. I knew Mayer only had two touchdowns last year, which seemed really low. Yeah. Uh, but at tight end U, the school record for touchdowns in a season by a tight end is six. Komet had it in 2019 and Ken McAfee, who was a Heisman third-place finisher in 1977, had six. There's only been five seasons where a tight end has had more than four touchdowns. And, man, when you look at Michael Mayer, there's the potential for seven or more. So I'm, I'm going to say yes. Yeah, this is a situation where I'm a little bit boxed in by last week saying that he wouldn't get to eight touchdowns in our prop bets. Um, so that means he would be good thing. You have a good memory. I didn't even remember that question. (laughs) Well, uh, partially because it happened just last week. Um, if it happened months ago, I probably would, I don't know that I would have remembered that, but, um, I I think so there's a small window for me for me to to be right on both accounts. So, but I'll go ahead and say, sure. He'll get seven touchdowns, break both the, the school record for touchdowns in a season and not break the prop bet of over under, um, seven and a half touchdowns that I proposed last last weekend. Uh, next one we have is from at Brett Kovach. 
with a loaded backfield this year, do you see either of the freshman running backs getting playing time? If so, which one do you think plays more? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think there there could be a, a high leverage role for SMA, as I mentioned earlier. Um, but I think sometimes you're going to want to close out games with SIBO and the freshmen. And uh, I think as long as they have good ball security, you know, you'll see them closing, you know, close help closing out games. Yeah, I, I agree. Sort of echoing, maybe being a little repetitive of what we talked about earlier. I think that um, they have the, they, I believe they have the capability um, that the opportunity may be limited based on the three guys ahead of them. But um, I, I still think that estimate is the guy that I would wager a small amount of money on that would play more if, if forced to. Next one is from Irish fan one zero two. And he asked me to read, refer to him as friend of the pod, Irish fan one zero two. And as someone who submits a question pretty frequently, I suppose that um, I I will allow that. Um, He would like to know what percentage of the general student body or he or she, I guess I don't know what Irish fan one zero two identifies as uh, would like to know what percentage of the general student body is now vaccinated and what precautions the football team is still taking this fall. Okay. As far as the student body, um, they're not on campus yet. They'll be on camp. I think the move-in is next weekend, and then they start classes shortly after that. But um, they were at over 90% in the spring, and then there was a rule passed where with with some special exemptions, 100% of the student body needed to be vaccinated as well as faculty and staff. So it's going to be pretty close to 100%. The football team was, I think, at 95%. Yeah. Um, and because of all those high percentages, there's not a lot of restrictions on the football team. I mean, obviously, wash your hands. And I think if you leave the campus bubble, which is going to have, again, a much higher vaccination rate than the community around it, um, you know, you may need to wear a mask. You may need to be um, you know, indoors, you may need to social distance in some situations if you get outside of the campus area. But right now, I mean, yesterday felt like 2019. It felt very normal when we were over there covering the team, including our own behavior with the, um, with the requirement that every member of the media that's covering them has to be vaccinated. Yeah. In order for us to be there in person, we have to have proof of vaccination, which we have presented and we're given our passes for practice. Um, I didn't anticipate the student body. I don't know. Would be around that same 95% number. I don't know. Like I don't have an answer exactly of how many people have religious or health exemptions that they are allowing. But um, in term, I'm not sure that there's a lot of things that they're doing, at least not that they've made evident to us in terms of like, I, I think they're like back to normal locker room use. They're not like splitting up the locker room like they had where half, only half people in there at a time and stuff like that. Um, I imagine that, well, the football team will have to follow the lead of the campus in terms of masking. Um, I don't think that the football team is going to be more strict than what the campus guidelines are currently. And that includes carrying, they ask people to carry masks at all times. Unvaccinated individuals must wear a mask indoors. Um, and they ask that, uh, you wear a mask in certain spaces where visitors are commonly present, regardless of vaccination status. So they, they may advise 
the the football players like if they're going off campus to to mask up um if they if they're going to be in an area where they don't know what the vaccination rate is of the, of the people that they're hanging out with but i think it's as close to back to normal as it as it can possibly be hopefully it continues to stay that way uh, although um the way that things are have been going across the country that seems to be a little bit up in the air Next question is from at sad Irish fan 13, two games you and Eric are most nervous about go. I'm not particularly nervous, but I think the ones that Brian Kelly should be nervous about are North Carolina and Cincinnati. I think those are the best two teams on the schedule. Yeah. I, I, I don't get nervous about games. I, I only get nervous about travel delays. <laughs> That's the thing that I get the most nervous about in the season. Uh, but to take this spirit of the question, I think it's not even close. I mean, obviously, you have some disagreement there. I think it's North Carolina and Wisconsin are the two teams that they should be the most nervous about. Um, so, um, but there are Cincinnati and USC, I think, are, are teams that could present trouble for Notre Dame, too. So, that those four are, are clearly above everyone else. Um, and I guess I should, shouldn't say it's not even close if, if Eric disagrees with me uh, that the top two are, are North Carolina and Wisconsin. Next one is from at Chris Fleck one. What one food item or restaurant booth would you love to see added in Notre Dame stadium this year? Well, you know, since we're not down there, I don't know what they already have. So I may be asking them to add something that's already in existence, but in the spirit of being kind of stupid, I thought I had two options, Korean barbecue, which I like, and would honor um, Kyle Hamilton, Marcus Freeman, and Jordan Botello's heritage. Um, and then how can you go wrong with Italian beef and Portillo's, uh, even though it's kind of messy? Um, yeah, that, that was my answer. Portillo's would be be my my go-to. Okay, so that those were my two. Yeah, I think uh, an Italian beef at a football game would, wouldn't be too bad. Um, I, I imagine it would be a pretty popular stand as well, but – um, we obviously have different, different experiences. So our, like, I, I'm not sure. I think there's a Chick-fil-A. There had been a Chick-fil-A yeah. place. Cause I remember us asking, we asked Mike, I think Mike Gold Jr. about it. Like how many chicken nuggets or sandwiches he could eat during a game or something like that. So, um, I think, uh, there, I think there are some decent options there now. <laughs> I would never wait in the line. No, yeah. waiting in the line. And there's not, it's pretty crammed in, in the stadium. So I, I think it, like trying to eat while you're crammed in is also a, a, a hassle too. So I would probably, you probably have, I'd probably eat it on the concourse before I went back to my seat, if that were the case. Um, and then the last question we have is from Wayne Usteroff at W Usteroff MLB field of dreams played last night. What is your college football field of dreams? Um, if I kind of understand this right, cause I don't think there's anything quite like, you know, Dyersville, Iowa, so yeah. I, I thought about where would I want to go for a venue? Sure. And I would say night game at LSU. Just everything about that screams danger. And I, <laughs> I, I want I want all of it. You want that danger. Yeah. That's funny. And, and, and something, I guess, closer to home, I would say Lambeau Field. I was pretty excited for that game that got canceled. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I wasn't sure if that was where he was going or not. I think – that's probably what he had in mind in terms of like, uh, yeah, I didn't know an, an actual college high school. Yeah. 
an actual college game, and I, I had the same answer. A night game at LSU is, is number one for me. I, I haven't been to a game at Ohio State yet, um, but that is on the uh, schedule, so that's that's not as much of a dream. Now, obviously, you've been to games at Ohio State before. Um, if we were trying to make it more blown away, <laughs> if we're going to try to make it more like the field of dreams scenario, and this is something I suggested for the NFL on Twitter last night, that they should go play a game at the former T.C. Williams High School in Alexandria, Virginia, which is the the school that the uh, the movie The Remember the Titans was based on. I thought that might be something cool, but I, I I don't know. Like to me, it would have to be like a smaller venue. I think that's part of what makes it cool. But I don't know that there's anything that would necessarily be the same as sort of playing football in the middle of a cor- or playing baseball in the middle of a cornfield. Now maybe you could play football. Like one thing I thought of was like well, maybe like Friday Night Lights, like a but they, they play high school games like in Permian, Texas or something like that. But like high school football fields in Texas are, are like a lot of college football stadiums. Yeah. And I, I saw someone on Twitter earlier today. I think it was uh, at pro football talks, which I think is Mike Florio. Um, and he said, well, should they play like a Rudy game in Notre Dame stadium? And I was like, I think, I, I don't know how Notre Dame fans would feel about that, but like a football game in Notre Dame stadium is like what happens in Notre Dame stadium. So to me, that wouldn't be as special now. Now maybe that's just because we're spoiled and we see football games in Notre Dame Stadium all the time, and it isn't wouldn't be as as significant um, for us. But um, I, I would like it to be in like a smaller venue or somewhere sort of unique that you would wouldn't normally see a football game or like a football game of that caliber, um, where there are plenty of big time football games that happen in Notre Dame Stadium. So I, I, to me, that didn't quite fit the fit the fit the parallel. All right, that's it for today's episode of Pot of Gold. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you like what you hear, shoot us some stars and leave a review. We'll be back next week with another podcast. Until then, stick with NDInsider.com for your preseason Notre Dame football coverage needs. Mm-hmm.